Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. We're not delayed till Tuesday. No, no, this is Seattle Sports Saturday right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. With you from 11 to 1, actually no, 11 to 12.30 today. We've got Cougar basketball to get to later on here this afternoon on 710 ESPN Seattle, but obviously the big story this weekend here in Seattle sports is the Seahawks-Rams game has been put on pause for at least a couple days, scheduled to kick off at 4 p.m. Pacific time on Tuesday, dot, 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 maybe, uh, dot, 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 pending a lot of things still needing to happen over the next 48 hours or so. But man, oh man, the NFL cannot ever get out of their own way when it comes to stuff like this. They can't just have a definitive guideline that in which they are able to rule from, in which they're able to make decisions from. And Taylor Jacobs, we saw it play out in real time yesterday just how crazy the NFL is when it comes to moving these games around, just how hectic they made everything. Will they? Won't they? How will they? There's still plenty of questions to be answered. We're going to do our best over the next couple of hours to answer some of them, but I mean, they did not make this convenient on anybody, especially the Seahawks, who have considerably less players in COVID protocol. Yeah, and I mean, talk about happening live. And now it would appear, though, one of the TSN reporters, Chris Johnston, reporting that tomorrow's Leafs cracking game also to be postponed as well. So we'll keep you updated on that. That's just being reported by Chris Johnston of TSN right now. But uh, yeah, the NHL, the NFL, the NBA, again, we're sort of back into this loop of waiting to see, hoping to find more information and get more information as things progress and, and find out the actual severity of this outbreak. But uh, yeah, it looks like it's not just the NFL and the Seahawks and people here. Uh, there's other teams that are going to be likely up in arms about some of the things happening now. Teams that are on streaks, teams that are really gelling right now, you know, could this put a pause in that stuff as well? So a lot to keep an eye on here, Curtis, but that's why you got us here on a Saturday morning. We're going to help you get through all of it, break it down nice and easy for the next hour and a half uh, and get you on the with the rest of your weekend, because uh, who knows what type of sports we're going to see the rest of the week, the rest of the year as well. Yeah, it, it, it could. I mean, who's to say that this is the only time where we're going to see these games get paused, get postponed, what, what have you. We're going to see a lot of the, uh, the sort of the fail-safe options that these leagues have in place for, for circumstances like this. I think a lot of these leagues kind of felt as though with you know vaccination rates being as high as they are in these professional sports leagues, I think all of them are at least like 95-plus percent and, and higher, that you, know, you were going to be able to have relaxed rules. But as we know with COVID being what it is and, and its unpredictability, we're seeing now the you know the new variant, the Omicron variant, sort of wreak havoc in these leagues, and and now all of a sudden, like you said, it kind of feels like we're back in. I wouldn't say no, I wouldn't necessarily say March of 2020 because that was when everything just went absolutely berserk, and and but we do have a lot more knowledge now as to 
how symptomatic people can get, how how it transmits, you know, all the knowledge that we've built over the last, what, 18, 19 months or so. It still, though, is discouraging to see so many of these games get postponed, get so many of them, uh, you know, canceled or, you know, forfeits being an option. It, it, it It's unfortunate because it felt like we had made so much progress over the last year plus, and now here we are, like you said, uh, just kind of having to reassess, and, and hopefully this is just a, a, a small period and this isn't, you know, something that is going to linger you know, for the rest of these seasons, the rest of the NBA, the NHL, and the NFL seasons. Yeah, I mean, we know we we were just recently removed from the old bubble situations and all of those happenings, and it felt like you you were right right on the head there, Curtis, that we had made it through to the other side. But uh, again, with the high vaccination rates, these they're still hoping to protect the people who aren't vaccinated, right, and and make sure that everyone, no matter your status, is able to go about doing their job in a healthy, productive way. So this is for not just the vaccinated, for the unvaccinated, for the the old, for the young. It's for everyone involved in these organizations. So that's what the, the, the point of this is. But you're right, Curtis, it's a bummer, right? Uh, I'll speak personally. I, I wanted to go to that Kraken Leaf game. I'm a <laughs> former Maple Leaf, recovering Maple Leaf fan, as I like to call it. Uh, and I wanted to see those two teams. And again, that's the selfish part of me is wanting to see those two teams. I want to see them all healthy and alive and able to play the game oh, whenever it happens. So that takes priority. And I think that's where I think most people land is just make sure everything's and everyone's safe. And then we can, we can play the games. We can reschedule. We'll find a way to play the games. Absolutely. Coming up in this hour, we'll talk some signing day. That was a big portion of this week here in the Northwest. Obviously, we'll talk some Seahawks and Rams as we're now two days, three days away from a game being played. And then also we'll talk some Kraken as well as they, even though they won't play the Leafs uh, tomorrow night, they do have their game against Edmonton still scheduled for tonight. Uh, We'll talk the goalie situation there between uh, Philip Grubauer and Chris Drieger. That's all coming up in this hour. But before we get into all of that, let's get into this hour's big three. Number one. Well, you mentioned it, Curtis, the big town or the big team in town had the first domino fall. Seahawks will not be playing the Los Angeles Rams on Sunday as initially scheduled. The Rams have 29 players currently on the reserve COVID list, including Jalen Ramsey, Odell Beckham Jr. and Vaughn Miller. As a result, the game pushed back two days to December 21st, Tuesday. A nice little Tuesday 4 p.m. kickoff for all you Seahawks fans there. And yes, there were a couple COVID cases on the Seahawks as well this week. We heard Tyler Lockett and Alex Collins testing positive in protocol as well. They're just the second and third Seahawks to have tested positive for COVID-19 since the start of the 2020 season, along with tight end Gerald Everett, who missed some time earlier this week with positive or earlier this year, pardon me, with positive tests. Does this give LA an advantage as the Seahawks appeared to have been better at handling this? Does it help LA get healthy and continue to win? Was this all the NFL's big devious plan? Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit more at 1115. Number two. 
Well, a fairly quiet start to the early signing period for both Washington schools, the Cougs and the Huskies. UW had the fewest early signings of any Pac-12 team, which is six prospects led by Jeremy Bernard of Nevada, a wide receiver, and tight end Ryan Otten, younger brother of Kate Otten. Cougs faring a little better, picking up 10 signings, including securing the services of tight end Andre Dollar, who was once an Oregon commit, perhaps the biggest name coming to play in the state of Washington next season. That would be Indiana transfer quarterback Michael Penix Jr. Penix will suit up for the Huskies in 2022 and has a history with head coach Kalen DeBoer. The two played. Uh, DeBoer was his offensive coordinator at Indiana during the 2019 season when Penix Jr. completed nearly 68% of his passes. What does this mean for the quarterback battle for the Huskies going into 2022? You've got Dylan Morris, Sam Heward, and now Michael Penix Jr. all competing for that starting gig. I think a lot of Huskies fans clamoring for Sam Heward, but that decision gets even tougher for head coach Kalen DeBoer, and uh, hopefully the Huskies, for their sake, can land a couple more signings in the later signing period because uh, I don't think six is going to be able to cut it in the Pac-12. Number three. Well, we just found out moments ago, Chris Johnston of TSN reporting tomorrow's game between the Kraken and Leafs reportedly will be delayed. So a lot of moving pieces in the NHL in regards to COVID as well. And the Kraken entered Friday with seven games remaining in their calendar, but now a few of them postponed. The game uh, against the Flames, like we mentioned earlier, on the twenty that was set for the twenty third, pardon me, in Calgary, will be moved. A lot of the Calgary uh, games, the next six games, pardon me, are all postponed in the midst of their outbreak. The NHL also announced that Colorado's next four games and the Panthers of Florida's next three games have also been postponed due to COVID outbreaks. So a lot of postponements. A lot of things to keep an eye on, but apparently we'll we'll let you know the game tonight should still be taking place, should still be seeing the Kraken take the ice. You'll see Drieger in net tonight. Is there a controversy brewing in that Kraken net? We're going to talk about that at 11.45, so stay tuned. We'll keep you updated on more Kraken news as we get it throughout the show. That is this hour's Big Three. Some honorable mentions. Gonzaga, they're taking on Texas Tech right now. The Zags have a 36-29 lead with about 18 minutes to play in the second half. That game being played on a neutral site down in Phoenix between the Zags and the Red Raiders. Chet Holmgren with three points and eight boards uh, already in that game. Uh, Gonzaga, they've gotten off to uh, not the start that I think a lot of people had them pegged for. They've already got a pair of losses, but they still look like they're going to be probably a number one seed in the NCAA tournament if they handle their business in conference play, which I think they should. Uh, And then also in college basketball, the Washington Huskies, they're scheduled to resume their basketball schedule today against Seattle U. Now, Hopefully all things are, are squared away there. They have not played since November 27th. They had to cancel three straight games all against top 10 teams, and they had to take a forfeit against UCLA because that game could not be rescheduled. So the Huskies haven't played in almost a month. Today will hopefully be their return to action. Uh, now, the Husky basketball team, not great, but at least they're past, or at least hopefully past, that wave of, of COVID that had, you know, 
run through that program. Uh, so hopefully everything is A-OK with them going forward. But like we said, coming up in this hour, we're going to talk some signing day. That's about 15 minutes from now. And then also some cracking uh, with their goaltending controversy. Maybe, maybe not. Philip Grubauer, Chris Drieger, who should be the starter, at least in the immediacy. But up next, the NFL, the unforeseen consequences of moving this game I don't know if they necessarily thought them through. We'll talk that next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. 206-421-3776 is the Mac and Jack's text line. If you want to join in on the conversation at any point today, make sure that is where you text. He's Taylor Jacobs. I'm Curtis Rogers here on Seattle Sports Saturday. And obviously the news of the weekend here is the Seahawks and Rams game has been postponed till Tuesday. And you kind of wonder if the NFL may or may not have ran through the the list of unforeseen consequences, unforeseen circumstances that have come from moving this game back 48 hours. Now, Look, the Rams have 29 guys on the COVID list right now, which obviously priority number one is getting those guys healthy. The Seahawks still have two with Tyler Lockett and Alex Collins, uh, both uh, both testing positive and showing symptoms. That's what Pete Carroll said yesterday. So hopefully those two guys uh, are, are going to be healthy. Uh, I don't know if, if they're going to be able to be healthy enough to play on Tuesday, but you hope that everybody that is on the COVID list is healthy and safe and, and, and everything like that. But you look at the NFL yeah. and, yeah, as you are saying, Taylor, there. Oh, well, you look at the uh, NFL right now, and they've moved three games. They moved the Seahawks game, they moved the Washington-Philly game, and then they moved from today Cleveland and Vegas all the way. Uh, that game gets moved to Monday night. Washington-Philly is Tuesday night. Now... The Seahawks have considerably less players on the COVID list. You've got Philadelphia with less than what Washington has, and you've got Vegas with less than what Cleveland has. All three of those teams will not have a full week of rest going into their next game, despite them doing as much as possible to stay healthy. They did their part. Did the NFL even think about how they're basically punishing these teams that did not really break any kind of rules, break any kind of protocol. They did not have any kind of outbreak in their facility. I mean, two cases is, is two cases. It's not, you know, a widespread issue right now for the Seahawks. We still have a few days left before the game to, that gets played. But Taylor, you look at what the NFL has done with these three teams, Vegas, Philadelphia, and Seattle, I mean, I can't imagine any of those fan bases are, are thrilled with the outcome that we're seeing right now. No, and, and it feels counterproductive, right? It feels like the the teams who, are, again, are going to pay the most price for this aren't the teams who had the most COVID outbreaks or case-positive tests. It's the ones without those and, and the, the the fallout from the games behind this one game as well. So... Look, I, I understand delaying this game 48 hours. What I don't understand is shifting the schedule next week 
we're already in this period of the NFL where the games are, you know, you have weird weekend games, right? And they don't have to compete with college football. So you'll, you'll see some Saturday games sometimes mixed in there leading into the playoffs and in the playoffs as well. So they're, they're okay playing on those different games. Try and move some of these games around to make it fair as fair for everyone in the league. And I know that's kind of weird to say, and that's not the world we live in, right? You can't be fair for everyone, but it just feels like, again, I would, I I think I would be still saying this if if the shoe was on the other foot and we had 29 and the Rams had had three or two, pardon me. I'd be like, is that fair? If we were the ones breaking the rules that the Rams don't get that are the Rams are the ones that get punished. It's just a strange, strange sort of circumstance. It is. It's something that I just don't know if the NFL completely thought through. I also don't think the players association thought it through at all when they collectively bargained this off season and said, look, we will give up our game checks. If a game has to end in a forfeit, if that wasn't the case, if, if players still got paid and there was the chance of a forfeit here, I I think the NFL would be in a much better spot where they wouldn't have to be in such a desperate situation having to get these games in because players don't want to miss out on their game checks. But if these games, if pay was guaranteed regardless of whether or not the games were played, I don't think the NFL would have any kind of issue, you know, postponing or, or, or forcing a forfeit in these instances. Now, you do run the risk of losing a ton of TV revenue because that is the most important thing in the NFL. That is what, you know, drives up the salary cap. That's what makes these teams worth billions and billions of dollars is the amount of viewership that they get, the TV revenue and all that. You lose out on on one television broadcast. I mean, there's going to be a lot of of hand-wringing. There's going to be a lot of network execs not thrilled with that. But you know what? Like, at the end of the day, you want these guys healthy, and you, A, you want the Rams players and, and the Cleveland players and the Washington players all healthy, and B, you don't want them giving what they have to the other teams that they're playing, causing even more postponements along the way. And look, I, I don't know why the NFL considers their schedule to be this, you know, this unchanging thing where you can't add another week into the season and move the Super Bowl back a week, move everything back a week. Like you're already playing the Super Bowl in mid-February now. You added a week to the regular season. Like what are we doing here? It's not if you play the Super Bowl on February 20th rather than February 13th, what's that to anybody? Oh well, we get another week of football. Oh darn, that sounds like such a bad thing. It's not. Like the NFL just needs to be a lot more flexible here because look the chances of the rams being at full strength come tuesday with 29 guys on the covid list right now i don't see it even being a feasible thing no way and and it's strange that we're sitting here talking about cracking games being delayed too and and the league of the nhl seems to be way more fluid in handling this situation and how they approach the games and rescheduling and trying to find ways so that they don't lose on the ticket gates or on the TV broadcast um, dollars that they would lose. You're right. The NFL is just so rigid in some of these things. It, it feels like the only people it truly hurts are the fans of the game, right? That it's just, it, it, it impacts us so dearly and the players 
you know what I mean? They're, they're sitting here wondering who's on their side is the players union have their best interest in, in heart, because look at the deal that they signed this past year. And then you look at the owners, the owners are always going to put dollars above everything else. And we just get back into this sort of weird cycle. Look, the baseball's on strike because of some of the things that happened in their negotiations last year and trying to figure out these, the situations and postponements and pay and all of that. So it's this weird sort of new age, new world order that we live in here in this sports world between the, the relationship between fans, players and owners and the whole, and the flow between all three. Looking at this matchup, just from a football standpoint, with the game being moved a couple of days out, which team do you think is better equipped to handle a situation like that? Even though the Seahawks, I think, have a a far less talented roster than the Rams have right now, could the Seahawks be at an advantage simply because of who Pete Carroll is as a coach and how we've seen games in you know his tenure as head coach of the Seahawks? you know, get moved around or, or play at different times. You know, you've got, you know, a ton, their record on like Monday and Thursday night games under Pete is incredible. We've seen them play in London and what they shut out the Raiders that day or only gave up a field goal or something. I mean, they've had a lot of games that kind of fall outside of the norm in what you see in the NFL. How do you think the Seahawks are equipped to handle this, even though they probably don't win on paper, so so to speak, but they could, you know, in any situation like this, there's a lot of variables that are, are going to be at play. Yeah, well, I mean, currently, Curtis, on paper, they got 29 or 27 more active players than the Rams. So currently on paper, actually, the Seahawks are better than the Rams. So make sure you quote this, clip this, you know, <laughs> savor this moment as long as possible. That on paper, you can't really argue that the Seahawks are better than the Rams in this exact moment. However, I think on Tuesday, some of those players are going to test back in. Heck, Lockett and, and uh, Collins could potentially test back in as well. So to me, you're right, Curtis. I think Pete, as far as coaching and the moments that seem like his backs, uh, their backs are against the walls and that they need that mo- that adverse moment to work to motivate them, that Pete and the coaching staff find that way to do that. Now, if a lot of those Rams players test back in and we're looking at this as a straight up matchup, I don't know how much motivation can make up for some of the talent that the Rams have in, in the difference between the talent that they have. But yeah, it's uh you got to kind of just take it day by day and see where this team's going to go and just know that no matter what the situation, Pete's going to get his guys up no matter what, what the team on the other side looks like the Seahawks will be ready to play that team. Coming up in this hour, we'll talk some cracking with their goaltending situation. Chris Drieger, Philip Grubauer, who are you taking? But up next, we're going to try and draw some conclusions from the early signing day. Yeah, the signing period is not over, as we've got the later signing period still to go. But what can we say about these Huskies and Cougs teams after we get a glimpse into what their future looks like? That's next year on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. 
We're going to talk in the most definitive way possible about 17 and 18 year old kids that have signed with the Huskies and Cougs because we know how this is going to turn out four years from now. Exactly how. At least that's how these recruiting services want want us to think about these these signings that each school has made. But I think there are some bigger bigger picture conversations to be had about the state of the Huskies and Cougs based off of how we saw them perform in the early signing period, Taylor. And in looking at, obviously, here on the western side of the state, the Huskies signing a very small class to begin with. Only, what, six players have committed. And that is not a lot. In fact, that is the fewest in the Pac-12 and in 24-7 sports because of how small the Huskies class is, has them rated 12th in the entire conference. A 12-team conference, do the math, that's not great. Uh, On the eastern half of the state, you've got the Cougs with a a class that is about double that size, but in totality, they're ranked about 10th right now in the Pac-12. But, Taylor, you look at the Huskies and just where they're at as a program, introducing a new head coach, Kalen DeBoer, just a couple weeks ago, having to dig himself and that program out of the hole that Jimmy Lake left it in. I mean, do you think it it, it might be a little tougher than I think we had kind of anticipated based off of the early, early signings here with UW? Yeah, I I think so. I think it's difficult in college when you fall to rise as quickly as you fell, if that makes sense. So if it was a quick fall, it's not usually going to be a quick turnaround. If it's a long fall, it's usually not, it's an even longer turnaround. So you, but you, you saw some of the writing on the wall for both schools. I mean, the Cougs are not safe from this conversation at all and, and how they lacked in recruiting when Rolo was going through all the things he was going through. And even Jimmy Lake, before the things he was going through, his struggles to get those players. But to me, all of that aside, right? We sit here, we talk about four-star, five-stars, the, the rankings, all of this stuff. It's more about knowing your identity and do these teams have their identity of what they want to be for the next four or five years? Because that's really what's most important about recruiting right now is will this player buy into the program and where it's heading for their entire college career? Now, not everyone leaves after three years. You were, you're hoping to get some of those four year players. So to me, have they found their identity? And right now the dogs are still struggling to find that they've added some of the coaches and they secured those coaches this week, um, signing a whole bunch of their staff to official deals, but they got to figure out who they are. And then you can start recruiting for those players. UW can't compete with A&M or Bama or some of those big schools. <laughs> Heck even Jackson state, they might not even be able to compete with them, <laughs> but, but you got to figure out and, and, Keep the guys in state, find those Taylor wraps, those three star in state recruits, and you got to turn them into stars for both schools. And that's that's where you find the success. So finding identity and then finding players who fit those identities. I think one good thing that Kalen DeBoer has done to start his his tenure at UW is is bringing on a, a coaching staff that he's very familiar with. It's guys that he coached with at Indiana and also at Fresno State, where 
you know, he kind of knows what everybody's thinking in the room. There isn't any question marks. Everybody's on the same page. That's going to be helpful. And also he's decided to bring back a couple other guys uh, from Jimmy Lake's staff, retaining Junior Adams, wide receiver coach, and then also retaining the offensive line coach here in, in you know at UW. So there's going to be, you know, some familiarity with the coaches. And also you've got guys who I think had really good reputations in the program, guys who the players responded well to. Uh, and that is going to help. Now, as we heard this week from Jake Heaps, maybe Kalen DeBoer could stand to put a fence around the state a little better than what he's done so far, where uh, it sounds as though there has not been a lot of communication between Washington's current coaching staff and a lot of the top tier high school programs in the state. Now that's got to change. If, if you are going to recruit this state, if you're going to keep guys like, you know, JT Tuimolowau back home, if you're going to keep players of that caliber here, you've got to make those connections right out of the gate. Um, I, I will say though, the under, I think an underrated move that they did this week was bringing in Michael Penix Jr. from Indiana. When Penix Jr. is at his very best, he is one of the more electrifying quarterbacks in the country. Now, health has been a big question mark with him, as he has never played, I believe, more than half a season uh, with Indiana. So there is plenty of question marks about that. But I think at his peak, I think he threw for, what, over 400 yards against Ohio State in the horseshoe at one point. Um, that's a pretty good performance in, in one of the more hostile environments in the country. Uh, do I think he has the talent to overtake Sam Heward or Dylan Morris in that quarterback battle? I think he could. I think he could do it. I absolutely do think he could do it. Um, Taylor, when you look at what Penix Jr. brings, obviously he brings a lot more mobility to the spot, but also some starting experience that Morris and, and Heward don't have right now. That, to me, seems like it could be a, one of the more interesting quarterback battles to watch, not just here in the Pac-12, but nationwide. Yeah, no, I agree. And it, I was actually a little stunned that they made this move. I'm I'm stunned by the lack of just buy-in on Sam Heward right now. After a few games, I mean, look, I know Penix Jr. could come in and, and still play behind Heward, but if I'm Sammy, I'm thinking, what's going on here? I thought I was the guy. I thought I was supposed to be the one in charge. Now, the hope is, and I think this gets back into the Pete Carroll, the big the theme is, does competition breed the best out of both players? And if you're a UW fan, you got to be hoping for that. you got to be hoping Penix and Heward push each other to be better, and whoever truly wins that battle will be the best quarterback to lead them next season and help them dig out of this hole as quick as possible. So I was a little bit shocked that they made this move and, and the name, the recognizable name of, of Penix Jr. as well and, and him being a, a top player in the country. Uh, if you're a dog, you got to be hoping that two is better than one and that it pushes them further. Also this week, we heard an interesting quote from an in-state prospect. That'd be four-star lineman Dave Ayuli of Puyallup High School, who did not sign during the early signing period and is expected to sign in the late one. His final four schools are Oregon, Oregon State, USC, and Miami. And he was asked by the Oregonian, why do you not have Washington listed among your final uh, schools? And Ayuli said this. He said, quote, 
I know I could have done better for myself. I know I could do better for myself. Like, that is a pretty damning quote for anybody that follows Washington recruiting because we view Washington as one of the best programs out on the West Coast, and you've got a local kid saying that he could do better for himself than go to UW. That just was jaw-dropping to read because it feels like he said the quiet part out loud where that was a thought that a lot of top prospects in the state have had over the last couple of years and he just went out and said look they're not going to get they're not going to get me to where I want to go at least not as well as these other schools that I have in mind now I mean who's to say that UW couldn't get them couldn't get him to the NFL someday but uh, boy, that's got to be just a very tough pill to swallow if you're a Husky fan. Yeah, and it feels like so close. Look, UW has had some big names come out on both sides of their line, offensive and defensive. And to be not that far removed from some of those big-time players being in this program to now this, again, it just shows you how much damage truly happened in in this past year and and what the perception of UW was in state, which is important. I know some people don't think it's that big because with the internet and recruiting being such a national game now, but look, you got to keep the big players at home interested in your program. That's what breeds the success. That's how you get these programs and the su- sustained success is by getting the pipeline built in state. And to see that it's corroded to this point, if you're a UW fan, you got to be shocked, stunned, disappointed. I mean, pick, pick the word because three, four years ago, if someone had said something like this, they would have laughed at him. They would have genuinely laughed at him. Well, and the timing of where UW's recruiting has fallen off really is jaw-dropping to me or is stunning to me because we're, what, five years removed from Washington having a berth in the college football playoff. We should be seeing the fruits of that labor. The kids recruited in the years following that should have seen them playing on the biggest stage in college football, and we're not seeing them have the kind of recruiting classes that you think would stem from something like that. Now, college football is very much a what have you done for me lately, and the Huskies are two years removed from a Rose Bowl berth, two years removed in, you know, the eyes of a, a 16, 17-year-old. That's, you know, that's a, a good fraction of their lifetime. So it's not something that uh, you look at and you say, like, oh, why does this 18-year-old not care about what happened five years ago? Well, they were, like, 12 and 13 years old. They probably really didn't care at that point. So it's, it is stunning, though, to see them not use the momentum from that. And now they're on, what, their third head coach in four years? I mean, boy, that's a, that's a tough, tough turnover to uh, sustain there. And, I mean... I think UW has has it out, you know, has a really tough road laid out in front of them here to get out from what Jimmy Lake did to the program. I think Kalen DeBoer is is a I think he's up for the task, but boy, these next couple of years, I I don't know if it's going to be as rosy as it once was just a, a handful of years ago. Yeah, again, like I said, figure out who you are 
and go after those players. Forget about the rest. Forget about the stars, all of the lists, the rankings, those things. Don't matter if you know who you are and and who fits your role. You go out and you get those players. This team will be able to find that success. So, and the same goes for the Cougs. Look, put the ratings aside. Figure out who you are. If you want to be an air raid offense and a tough defense, fine. But you go out and you get those receivers who fit that offense. You go out and you get those linebackers who can play that defense. And you go from there, right? So, to me, figuring out who these coaches are in the program, that's number one most important to help with recruiting going forward. When we return, we've got goalie controversy on our hands. Who should be the guy in between the pipes for the Kraken? We talk that next year on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. It was a good start to the week for the Kraken with their 3-1 win over the San Jose Sharks in the Shark Tank. Good start, but then things got a little... Little hairy down in Anaheim as they fell 4-1 to the Ducks. The biggest difference between those two games was probably the guy in net, Chris Drieger, starting the game against the San Jose Sharks. Nearly had a shutout against San Jose. He went 58 minutes before allowing a goal, and that was the only goal he allowed in the game. As Seattle was able to come away with that 3-1 victory, and then the next night, Philip Grubauer in net and. He allowed three early goals, didn't come out for the third period, maybe nursing a bit of an injury of some sort. Taylor, it it almost seems too easy to say Chris Drieger should be the starting goalie right now for the Kraken. He's won his last three starts. All three have been on the road. One of those was against the Florida Panthers, one of the best teams in the league. But is it that easy to say? Because you look at what the Kraken spent on Philip Grubauer, and the length of the contract that they gave him, and and how they've marketed him as one of the stars of this team, and how the fans respond to him whenever he makes a save, uh, you know the Gru chance filling up Climate Pledge Arena. Is it so easy to say that Chris Drieger should be the starter going forward when you look at the investment that the Kraken have made in Grubauer? You don't want to. Look at a six-year contract, just, what, 26, 27 games into its existence and say, oh, yeah, we made a mistake there. Yeah, I mean, look, Curtis, those are all valid points. But uh, to me, I'm not hitting the full panic button on Grubby just yet. And if you look at their their analytics, you break it down, Grubauer allowing the goals allowed 329 Drieger, 3.07. You get to the save percentage, 88.2, 89.5. So, again, in the limited time, Drieger's put up similar type analytics, but the big difference being wins, right? Seven wins for Grubauer in 23 games played. And Drieger already has three wins in seven games played. So, at that clip... Drieger's going to win you more games. So I understand the competition. Let them compete it out. And to be honest with you, you got to go with the hot hand right now, and it's Drieger. And I think that in the NHL, it's more common to to go about goaltending that way and splitting the time that way that when the goalie truly has the hot hand, you stick with him. And that's why it's so important to have Grubauer and Drieger. To have Gruby and Decord. We're talking about a big, scary, situational mess here. 
But to have Drieger there to maybe even push Grubauer, like we just talked about with with Heward and Penix, and and what you know Pete Carroll preaches all the time, can that competition breed a better Grubauer or even a better Drieger? And in which case, you have to be excited about that. But I'm not panicking just yet, even though we already have 23 games played, where we have 30 games played between the two goalies. Well, you look at at the in the immediate aftermath of the expansion draft, it was kind of assumed that Chris Drieger was going to be the starting goalie for the 2021-2022 season, for the inaugural run of this team. But then free agency happened, and Philip Grubauer kind of fell into the lap of Seattle, and it was almost a no-brainer that they were going to sign him, especially considering the amount of cap space that they had following the expansion draft. So it's not like they're taking a flyer on Chris Drieger here and saying, hey, get us... Get us some wins here. They have a lot of confidence in his ability to play. And it wasn't they didn't even use an expansion draft pick to get him. They signed Drieger two in, in free agency, which then counted as their pick from the Florida Panthers organization. So it, it's not as though this was just somebody that they had their pick from. This was somebody who they targeted and said, We want this guy. And I think the plan was to have Drieger and Grubauer play a little more have a little more of an even split than they've had so far because of Drieger's injury troubles to start the year. And that's another thing as to why maybe it it isn't such a a foregone conclusion that Drieger's the starter going forward because he's been in and out of the lineup so much. But when he is in the lineup, you can pretty easily say that he has performed better than Grubauer. And we heard from Greg Wyshynski of ESPN. It was either earlier this week or, or late last week where uh, he he basically said that you know he has not been as high on Grubauer as other people and but he does think that there is that ability in him to be one of those goalies that can put the team on his back and I wonder if just in the first third of this season maybe too much was asked of Grubauer to kind of bail out what look the Kraken defensemen have not played up the snuff either and and that is a big you know there's a a big correlation between the play of your defenseman and the play of your goalie if your defensemen are doing their job the goalie is going to be doing his job a lot more so maybe there's something to that as to why Grubauer has not played to up to that contract that he signed this offseason Oh, Curtis, you stole the words right out of my mouth. I literally just pulled up the plus minuses for the defenseman on the Kraken and Mark Giordano, the captain, the the C on that chest, it's very important in hockey and and means a lot. He's minus nine plus minus right now on the season. Vince Dunn, another big name that you thought was going to be just a solid stalwart back there, minus 11. Adam Larson, another person you thought at the beginning of the season was going to be so incredibly solid, minus 14. So that's got to change, Curtis. You, you nailed it. And and being at some of these games in person, where they're giving away the puck and the situations in which they're doing so has been catastrophic, to say the least. And there's been so many times, I've tweeted it a couple times, where the defense has really made Gruby look worse than he was. And that the saves they ask a goalie to make, he makes those. And they're asking him to make those saves on top of the foolish plays. And those are the plays he can't quite make. He's not that type of a goalie to truly take over a game and dominate that way. So... 
to me, he's got to get a little bit more help from some of those big-name defensemen. they got to pull a little bit more weight and help clear the zone a little bit more so that Gruby has a better opportunity to see some of these pucks coming in and make a save. When when you look at the last two games that they played, the Anaheim game, uh, you know, not a good one for Seattle. But that game against San Jose, winning 3-1 against the Sharks, it almost looked like to me sort of the blueprint for how Seattle wants to play their games or have wanted to play their games this season. Keep it low scoring, uh, take advantage of the opportunities when they arise, and, and keep the other team off the scoreboard for the majority of the game. That pretty much was how they played that game against San Jose. You had the goal from Ryan Donato. You had the goal from Brandon Tanev. Then you had the empty netter at the end, uh, putting the icing on the cake. It it's, seems to me, though, that that is a very hard way to win games if you don't have the personnel capable of doing that. And And I don't know if the Kraken right now have the personnel to do that night in and night out. And that's going to be huge over the next, you know, couple of months here as the trade deadline is, uh, I believe it's in March. So we've still got a couple months to go before that comes up. Who knows how active Seattle will be in that. And look, if, if Seattle tends to fall out here over the next couple of months, I would imagine there's going to be some pieces on this roster that that do end up getting moved. I don't know if Mark Giordano is one of those guys considering he is your captain that's a big investment and he was one he was probably the most recognizable name getting picked in the expansion draft so who knows how that goes but i mean i look at this Kraken team right now if they can get if they can carbon copy what we saw against san jose earlier this week and just kind of play that style of game the rest of the season i think this this team is going to be a lot more I guess watchable in ways than they have been at times this season when they fall down like they did to Anaheim and the game is pretty much decided after the first period. Yeah. And it wasn't a shutout win, but that was a shutout, right? The goal at the very, very end of the game. Um, But no shutouts, Curtis, they still haven't shut a team out this year. And that's Uh, a complete, that, that goes, that goes, that's a whole team statement. That's not on the goalie. It's not on the defenseman. That's on everyone, right? Making sure that this team can dominate from line to line and, and all over the ice so that they can win a, a truly dominant game. They're waiting for that performance. And I think once they can get one of those under their belt, I think they will buy into their own belief and go from there. So you got to start somewhere and I'm hoping the next time they play what tonight or whenever that may be, hopefully they can pitch one of those. Yeah. Hopefully they can do something um, along those lines coming up in the next hour. It's only going to be a half hour because we got to bow out early for Cougar basketball at 1230, but we'll get you a big three. We'll get you some shout outs as well. We still got plenty more coming your way here on Seattle sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Make sure you're downloading every hour of every show. Click on the podcast page, 710sports.com. You can download them also on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcasts. Taylor, before we get into the big three here, Earlier this week, we heard from Jeff Passan on with Mike Salk, and 
even though there's no baseball going on right now, literally, there is no baseball going on right now. They had some discussions, I think, about non-revenue discussion topics. Uh, that was about it this week. But Jeff Passan still joined Mike Salk, and, and they got to talking about the Mariners' offseason so far, the Robbie Ray signing, and we heard Passan say uh, pretty emphatically that the Mariners are going to be really, really good. And that's still without, I would say, most of their offseason moves yet to be made. I mean, they've signed Robbie Ray. They traded for Adam Frazier. When you hear somebody like that who is on the inside, and, and I'm sure that Jeff Passan knows of some deals that are probably in the final stages right now that for the obvious reason that the lockout is still in place, you know, when you hear it from somebody like that, does it feel more real or, or are you still kind of in a, uh, look, I'm going to wait and see before I, I, I dive right in. I think it's a bit of both, but I think it's more the latter that look, I love, I really, really respect Passon. I, I think he's fantastic at what he does. I'm a little uh, shell shocked from 20 some odd years of, of believing and falling short and, totally okay i think i'm allowed to feel that way i'm still gonna support this team Uh, if i could be there in person on opening day i think i'll try and be there in person on opening day i i think this team is going to be special um i'm just nervous about making any sort of proclamations i think most mariners fans would probably side with me on this that (laughs) we can't crown them you want to crown them crown them but i'm not crowning them yet so um, I'm going to wait and see and and still maintain full faith. I know this team will make the playoffs. I know this team will have sustained success because of the rebuild and the things that they did the past few years, that they will be one of the teams to watch over the next few seasons and beyond in the Major League Baseball. Yeah, I, I mean, boy, there was another point that he made saying that the Mariners need to do everything they can to lock up Julio Rodriguez and Jared Kelnick for the foreseeable future, which, I mean, the praise surrounding Julio Rodriguez might be even more than what we saw from Jared Kelnick a year ago. And I remember, you know, where I was when we got the news that Jared Kelnick was getting promoted. I just so happened to be in the hospital. It was the day after my daughter was born. So maybe that's why I remember where I was a little (laughs) bit more than, uh, than, you know, if I was just out and about doing my, doing my thing, but we're probably going to be in a similar circumstance with Julio Rodriguez this year where, you know, when he gets that call, it's going to be one of those all points bulletins where breaking news, Julio's coming up, watch out. Like this, this is, this is a guy who people have been pegged or who has pegged him as the franchise, uh, which is not often we get a guy like that coming through the Mariners farm system. I think Felix Hernandez probably was the last guy to be billed as such. And that was what, 16 years ago, 17 years ago. Uh, I mean, it, it makes you very, very excited for the season, especially when somebody like Passon is, is out there saying that about this Mariners squad. Yeah, look, I'm excited, and I, I still got my Jared Kelnick uh, sheet, lineup sheet from his first game on the Mariners. I'm keeping that in my sports memorabilia little drawer that I have because I got a feeling in a few years, thinking about those days and the, the debut of Kelnick, the debut, debut of Julio, whenever it may be, 
Those are going to be big moments in this Mariners history and hopefully moments we look back and say this is the turning point. This is when they took it and and ran with it and it became their team. And it's not just talking about 95 and 01 that you're talking about the now, the present and the future and the people still to come. So hoping that's where we land and I'm hoping passing is uh, is on to something there. But I'm still a little nervous, Curtis, still a little nervous. I don't blame you. I don't blame you one bit. Look, we've got a short hour for you. We're bowing out at 1230, so let's not waste any more time. Let's get into this hour's big three. Number one. Well, we mentioned it earlier. It's happening all throughout sports, but uh, the latest COVID-19 outbreak hitting the NBA and hitting the Brooklyn Nets especially hard, as we found out late last night, Kevin Durant testing positive and early this morning. Kyrie Irving spending less than 14 hours on the Nets before he testing positive and entering into the NBA's health and safety protocols. Now the Nets have nine players in that list. Paul Millsap entered on Monday, LaMarcus Aldridge, James Johnson, Andre Bembry, Javon Carter, and oh yeah, James Harden and Bruce Brown also going this week. So the Nets all sorts of messed up and Kyrie Irving, yeah, not able to make it back onto this roster. But as far as the actual on-court happenings go, some of the standings look as follows. You're, those Brooklyn Nets still in first temporarily, but don't look now. The Chicago Bulls in second place out there in the East, having their own renaissance in front of the Bucks and the uh, upstart Cleveland Cavaliers, who are playing pretty well as well. And then in the West, the Warriors, the number one team in the NBA, followed closely behind them is the Phoenix Suns, the Jazz, and Memphis Grizzlies. So keep an eye out on the NBA whenever they play games again. Number two. It was one of the shortest coaching tenures in the NFL ever, but definitely one of the most memorable, probably for all the wrong reasons. The Jags announced earlier this week Urban Meyer has been fired as the team's head coach after just 13 games at the helm. 13. He didn't make it a full season. Just as it's always been in his coaching career, controversy followed him around from just about day one on the job when he tried to hire a strength coach who had been known in the past for using racist language around players. From there, it did not get any better. He brought in the Tim Tebow circus during the preseason. He refused to give Trevor Lawrence the bulk of first-team snaps in camp. And then we all know what happened once the games were actually being played, never mind the off-field behavior exhibited by Meyer, including the time he was filmed with a woman who definitely was not his wife. The final straw, former Jacksonville kicker Josh Lambeau accused Meyer this week of kicking him out of nowhere during pregame warm-ups and then accusing Urban Meyer of using language uh, fit for a playground bully. According to Adam Schefter this morning, the Jags are looking to fire Meyer with cause to avoid paying out the rest of his four-year contract. Unfortunately, I can see a world where Urban Meyer gets another head coaching job, probably at the collegiate level too, because as we know, college athletics, they will look past just about every single skeleton in somebody's closet before hiring them. And look, all this happened in Jacksonville, and we can't forget what happened at Ohio State too with the Zach Smith controversy, uh, him not doing what should have been done in that situation. Urban Meyer is as toxic as it gets, and I hope he never coaches another football game in his career. But unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen. I think he will be on a sideline once again someday. 
number three. Well, the NHL reintroducing stricter COVID-19 protocols today as they introduced or including more daily testing, other steps to help limit limit this growing outbreak. But uh, games are being canceled as we speak. We've mentioned it already. Tomorrow's Kraken Maple Leafs game been delayed. It looks like a bunch of the other Vancouver Canucks games have been delayed from this past weekend as well. And yes, it looks like uh, other teams, Bruins, Panthers, Avalanche, we've mentioned a lot of their games already being postponed, delayed um, into the future. So we'll keep an eye on there. But again, several Canadian provinces have also taken steps into their own hands and will limit capacity. So if you're heading to a Senators or Maple Leaf game in Canada, uh, you're only going to be able to get 50% capacity in those buildings. And that could even change before we get to Monday, as this was written earlier today, and it feels like everything I wrote in this caption <laughs> is irrelevant. So uh, keep an eye out on uh, 710sports.com, at 710ESPN Seattle on Twitter. Uh, we'll be trying to keep you updated as this news breaks. But it's uh, it feels like, and I told this to Curtis, feels like the day Rudy Gobert got sick in March of 2020, and, and this news is it's breaking so fast. No one can keep up with it. As we have heard each and every time when a situation like this arises over the last year plus, the situation's fluid. And uh, we're just going to roll with the punches as they happen. Uh, If we hear anything over the course of the next 20 minutes or so that we're with you, we will obviously pass that along to you. But that is this hour's Big Three. Before we head to break, some honorable mentions, the big story on signing day. That will be the number one recruit in the country, defensive back Travis Hunter, going from or flipping his commitment from Florida State to FCS Jackson State, their head coach being Deion Sanders. They're actually playing right now in a game. Uh, Travis Hunter taking advantage of some NIL opportunities, which, look, those exist to be taken advantage of. Shout out to him for, for swinging some deals like that. And also shout out to him for, for going to an HBCU because – uh, you know, those get overlooked a lot when in, when kids are picking their schools to play college football with. And there's been a lot of history of, of great players coming from those schools. Jerry Rice, Walter Payton, uh, to the probably the two biggest examples in the football world. So shout out to Travis Hunter betting on himself and uh, going to uh, a, a situation that he's comfortable with. And uh, just a, a sending shockwaves throughout the recruiting world, though, uh, with that decision. Oh, I love it. I love it. And uh, was lucky enough last summer to work in a mentorship program uh, at Morehouse uh, with uh, some great, great people there. So I'm really thankful for all the work HBCUs do, having seen it firsthand and and seen the impact it has in every community, not just the African-American community. So I, I love that he bet on himself. Coach Prime coming up there, getting that big recruit and uh, seeing a number one recruit and Jackson State logo next to it is pretty cool to see in today's um, in today's college football world. It helps helps with the little guys, right? You can, hey Wazoo, Absolutely. there is a chance if if a guy loves the coach and the program and the belief, he could go to your program. So I, I love that and I love the 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 betting on yourself and I hope nothing but success for that kid and I hope one day we're talking about him in a Seahawks uniform. In a new version of this defense, please would not mind uh, would not mind adding to the defensive backfield here in Seattle. And then uh, another honorable mention: 
just a, a really, really cool sight to see. Last year we saw Tiger Woods and his son play in the PNC Championship together, that Pro-Am tournament. They're back this year, and what's great about that is this is Tiger Woods' first golf competition since uh, being in that terrible car accident earlier this season or earlier this year. Uh, great to see him out and about on a golf course. Uh, he's still a few, you know, he's still a ways away from playing competitively on the PGA Tour and all that. But uh, just to see him back out there swinging and then also playing with his son. I mean, his son is a carbon so copy cool. of him as as a 12 year old. It's it is frightening how similar their games are, even at this age for his son, Charlie. Uh, if you haven't caught any of the videos of them playing together this weekend, uh, make sure you're, you're catching those on social media. It is uh, it is really, really cool to see uh, those two tearing it up out there. Yeah, I mean, you, you, again, you nailed it there, Curtis. What else can you say to see a father-son duo like that? The carbon copy, I think everyone's seen the video of them br- literally doing the exact same things in the exact same scenarios. So, uh, and and the fact that again, Tiger Woods and that horrific crash and and his leg was almost amputated. There was almost a situation where. You know, it, it, it got that bleak and to battle back, to be on a course. Yeah, it's a program, but that's not what it's about. It's about being out there with the guys, helping the game of golf and uh, helping the next generation. Because a lot of these golfers bring in their, their families with them for this program. So really, really cool to see. Coming up next here on Seattle Sports Saturday, we, we want your shout-outs to the Mac and Jacks text line 206-421-3776 is the number to text. We've got ours. We want to hear from yours. I think you can already guess who we're going to be shouting out uh, coming your way next year on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. As we do each and every Seattle Sports Saturday, we wrap it up with shout-outs. We're wrapping it up a little early today because we've got Cougar Basketball following us right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Make sure you're texting your shout-outs in to the Mac and Jack's text line, 206-421-3776. But if you heard the John Clayton Show prior to us today from 8 to 11, you may have heard from one Dave Grosby that – Following the conclusion of 2021, he is going to be stepping away uh, from radio. He is going to uh, be, you know, it'll be over for Dave Grosby's radio time here on 710. He is uh, choosing to focus on his health. He's choosing to focus on a lot of things. And and you heard his uh, final hit with John Clayton earlier today. That is not going to be the last you hear of Dave Grosby on 710 as he is still going to do his his weekly hits throughout the week on 710 and through the remainder of 2021. I'm sure there's going to be some other uh, segments that he'll have outside of the usual ones that you hear from him throughout the week. Um, But, Taylor, you and I, we've gotten to work with Graz throughout our entire time at 710 ESPN Seattle. And, uh, you know, there have been plenty of characters that have come through the doors in our time, past and present, probably future as well, but there will never be a character ever like Dave Grosby to sit in those chairs in our studio and, and to crack open a mic because he is about as original as it gets. And, and also just the nicest person of all time. And, and somebody that 
if you ever have the opportunity to have a beer with, take it because you are going to learn so much about everything from him. Yeah, it didn't matter if you were Gary Payton or just Gary Johnson, a random dude from Renton. Like, the Gras treated you the same exact way. I know, I'll speak for myself. Um, my entire recollection of life only exists with the Gras being in the background of some of these big sports moments. And what he's meant to this city and and the people our age and older and younger who grew up with Graz with gas and these big, you know, him, his Seattle U games and all the different things he's done here on 710 as well, that if there was a big moment, if it was 95 uh, with that team, 01 breaking the MLB win record, the Super Bowl, I mean, championships at schools, um, the playoff appearance from UW, the Graz was there for all of these moments. So to me, there's nothing but just respect and admiration for the Graz. I know I wouldn't be sitting here. I, I'm looking at an article from 2005 from the Bellevue High School newspaper talking about me and how one day I would love to work in Seattle sports radio. And it's because of people like Graz, all of those great moments. So I'm uh, grateful that I got to work with that guy. And boy, oh boy, I don't want to get emotional, but uh, they don't make him like the Graz anymore. And I'm really thankful that I got to work with him for as long as we did. And he's not going away. He's going to still be around. I'm assuming he's going to be tweeting his opinions for a long, long time. Oh, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I lo- and he's got a lot of stories left to tell. So if you ever run into the Graz, make sure you ask him to tell you a story of some kind. Because, boy, oh, boy, you're in for a, for a real treat there. Curtis, what are some Graz memories that uh, jump out to you? Boy, well, when I first got my start at 710, I was an intern back in early 2014. And as we all know here in the city of Seattle, early 2014, maybe the greatest sporting moment in this city's history was the Seahawks winning the Super Bowl, or at least the greatest moment in the early or in the, the more recent Seattle sports history. Obviously, you've got the Sonics winning the 79 championship. but And that whole experience was made all the more special because I got to intern for Graz and, and for Bob back when it was Bob and Graz in, in mid days. And Graz was like you said, somebody that had always been on in the background where, whether you're driving, you know, whether you're on the way to a game or, or whatever. And to be with him in the flesh, it was almost, you know, it was one of those things where it's like, I, I'm meeting a, a celebrity in that way. And, and, getting to know Graz over the years, like that is the last thing he thinks of himself. He is one of the nicest people, one of the most humble, one of the most generous people you'll ever meet. Uh, he is uh, uh, just an absolute legend of a person and somebody who I am so, so thankful that I have gotten to work with in, in multiple capacities over the years. Uh, I even, you know, on a couple of occasions got to host with him every now and then, which, uh, I mean, if I got to tell, you know, 12, 13 year old me that that was going to be happening at some point, uh, I'm sure he would have been thrilled beyond belief. Uh, but yeah, Graz is just, he is the ultimate original. And I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Everybody has a story about Graz and, and Graz has a story about everybody too. Like he, he has a story about every single, uh, person that he's met, every single person that he's worked with, 
and they're all just better than the one prior to it. And so uh, just an absolute beauty of a person. Uh, I, you know, shout out to him. Shout out to his wife, Bonnie. Shout out to yep. uh, Bruiser, their dog. Uh, oh, yeah. So, I mean, he he is one of the very, very best. And like you said, if it weren't for him, if it weren't for people uh, during that infancy of, of sports radio in this town, 710 ESPN probably does not exist. Uh, you probably do not have, you know, multiple sports stations in this town if it weren't for the groundwork that Graz and those of his era uh, laid down for, for those of us who are, you know, on the uh, the younger side in the sports radio world. And look, I mean, can't thank him enough for, for all that he's done for 710 all that he's done for me all that he's done for for so many of us over the years yeah you nailed it curtis and uh again some of the things that make Graz great is not even the things he does on air right he's a family man through and through i think he loves the the people that he is around and he finds ways to to make them feel better and more encouraged and and I, I think the biggest takeaway, and I love this point, and I think about it all the time. He, One of the first few days we were talking, and he was like, T, one of the things I want to be known for when I'm gone on my gravestone, Dave Grosby, excellent tipper. So when you're out there, <laughs> think about the Gros when you're at a restaurant, when you're leave at a, a bar. Tip. Leave a good tip. Be like the Gros. Live like the Gros. And uh, if we can all do that, I think the world will be a little bit of a better place. So thank you for everything, Gros. And I can't wait to see what's uh, what you got in store for us in the next chapter. Absolutely. That is uh, going to do it for us here today on Seattle Sports Saturday. That's actually going to do it for us here in 2021 because next Saturday, Christmas Day, we're off. The following Saturday after that, New Year's Day, we're also off. And who knows, baby, baby Jacobs comes after New Year's Day. I mean, there's going to be a, a lot in store for us here on Seattle Sports Saturday over the next few weeks. Uh, we'll obviously keep you posted on, on, on our happenings. But uh, for Taylor Jacobs, I'm Curtis Rogers. Cougar basketball is next right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.